My name is Amanda Van Annen. Welcome to Beauty and the Beat. Join me and my co-hosts, Betsy Zane and Sophia Brad, as we pierce beyond the beauty myth and get face-to-face with reality. Highs and lows of fashion to the challenges of motherhood, the traumas of life, heartbreak of relationships gone wrong, and how to find purpose and discover your true, authentic self. Hello, hi guys, it's Amanda. And today on the show, I'm so happy because I've got with me Zalman Nelson. Zalman is a psychologist with a master's in social work. He's a practice therapist and he believes in changing your life patterns and that this is the key to more fulfilling and successful relationships. Zalman believes that by identifying and confronting and overcoming them, we encounter the deeper, hopeful, positive, happy, and confident part of ourselves that's ready for loving, respectful, and happy relationships. Zalman, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, nice to see you and nice to meet you. You know, um, I was really, really excited to have you here because something I believe in is that, you know, our destiny is not only determined by what goes on around us but I believe that we determine what goes on around us and a lot of it has to do with our life patterns and our traumatic patterns Mm -hmm. and things that have happened to us since we were children so perhaps you can tell us a bit about yourself and how you started on this journey of therapy and if it's something that you've always wanted to do or something you just decided to do later on in life well, it's a deep question. There are many places, you know, to start to answer that, you know. I picked up a spiritual practice, you know, in my 20s. So that was already part of this kind of like there's more to life and growing self, developing self, you know, things that I never learned about me. So I've always been an experimenter, explorer of self. And then I just take that into work, the work that I do. I actually wanted to be a doctor. And I found uh-huh. that I wound up being a doctor of, of the soul and the spirit and the heart. I've just always been fascinated by people helping people, passionate about uh, giving and and really helping people grow and really believing in people's potential and uh, wanting to see people happy. And, and, you know, how do you do that? And uh, it's really driven the work. I I went and, you know, did training in addictions and social work and uh, therapy, group therapy. Um, And then as the internet was developing, just using whatever tools possible to help people grow and really explore because the focus is how to help people be happy. And that's really mm-hmm. driven. So I'm constantly learning and I'm constantly growing and I'm constantly trying things out on myself and bringing them into my practice with people and reinventing therapy, you know, one client at a time. But it's all about helping people grow and like, you know, not need me, you know, to stand on their own two feet, you know, and I even joke, like, I'd love to be out of business that people are, you know, healthy and doing <laughs> well. Yeah, because, you know, the thing about therapy is like, I come from a background because I'm from England and my parents, at least one of my parents is from Africa and both in England and Africa, even though people go to therapists, it's not part of a, you know, it's not part of a lifestyle like people do in America. Cause I find in America, almost everyone has a therapist, you know? (laughs) And when I first got here, I thought that was just, to be really honest, I thought that was weird. But as I started to learn about myself and as I've, started to grow older, I realized that we all sometimes need a guide, a guy that can put us in touch with, 
you know, who our true, help us find who our true authentic self is and find our happiness by being our true authentic self. I know you have several modalities like you use in your therapy. So could you explain, you know, because you talked about spiritual practice a bit. Like I'm a practicing Buddhist and I've been a Buddhist since I was 17 years old. And to be honest, it has changed my life. Sure. Because it's, even though I never went to therapy per se, it made me realize so many things. Like, by questioning myself, my actions, taking full responsibility for my life, you know? And I think that's a very, very important thing. So I want to talk about a few things. First of all, I want to talk about the concept of taking full responsibility for your life, because I think a lot of things stem from that, you know, where there is always the blame of, if only my mother did this, if only my father did this, which I agree, sometimes it does affect us. But how do we overcome that and take full responsibility for ourselves and our actions and our future? Sure. Lots to talk about there. <laughs> <laughs> A few things I'd say. I think it's like this. People never really learn how to live. I think there's some real basic fundamental skills. What's a feeling? What's a sense of self? You know, you talk about you know, Buddhism and mindfulness practices and meditation. How amazing it would be if more of that was taught in the schools, that ability to be comfortable inside me, you know. And I've been really connecting with this mantra going on about, you know, with quarantines. If you can't go outside, go inside and really helping people, noticing some people had already started some of that practice and were comfortable going there and a lot of people not. But there's so many really basic, core, important life skills. I even see parenting now. The job of the parent is to teach life skills, how to cook an egg, how to clean a room, how to have a relationship with oneself spiritually, how to get in touch with their feelings. So there's a lot of teaching that needs to go on there. And so I think more people would naturally and easily thrive or would take responsibility of self and if they knew how. I really believe that it's just, just with compassion, with people don't have the skills. It's a combination of skills and some self-awareness and some support. And there's really anything is possible. I focus a lot on that, a lot of like teaching. But uh, but I, um, gosh, there's so many points to go over. So if I, if I, if I don't touch one, you let me know. But, but I think I, it just all comes together. There's, there's just so many angles to it. I have a lot of clients, let's say, that really struggle to be in touch with their feelings. And for them, starting with a mindfulness practice or meditation practice becomes like essential in order to like begin to be comfortable you know, getting in touch with some of the things that they feel. But there's that knock on psychology, you know, and tell me about your mother or, you know, that kind of stuff. And I have no problem poking fun at some of these things, you know, with psychology. I think I hybridize a ton of things and I, I try to bring the best of each one to bear and, and what works for one person doesn't work for another. But like I tell people that it's true, the past is real. The past is an element, but I, I don't want people to get stuck in the past. I think it's about, you know, there's a part of me that was formed and impacted by my experiences as a kid, but it's here and now present. The past is present here. And that's where it gets a bit spiritual. It doesn't have to, but the idea that a person is really two, there are these two parts to a person. And many speak of that, you know, in different ways. But there's this I talk about in terms of an adult self and a child self. It's that child self that had these patterns, these false beliefs of self. But it's that kid inside of me that's kind of stuck in those old dynamics. So in that sense, the past is very present. And I'll have people tell me, some people do, you know, they think I'm going to, you know, we're going to blame the parents and, you know, I'm not, and I'm not doing that. 
but some people have no access, no access to memories. But it doesn't really matter because what I, I'd spend a lot of time with people is using triggering experiences they have in the moment that are putting themselves in touch with a bunch of feelings, you know, and no one can make us feel something that we don't already feel. And so it's, it's here and now. But I think that conceptualization that there's really two and that there's this kid part and reparenting of self. And I think it empowers people. And I think people naturally want to feel empowered, especially people who've been through traumas, which is a deep experience of uh, disempowerment. I think it's very important to help people start to find ways in which they can feel empowered. And so I like this idea that, you know, what, what happened to us in the past, you know, isn't our fault, but it's really up to us what we do about it now. And I, I think people want to, I think they just need the guidance and some of the tools. Okay. I'm going to go through a few points which you made. Uh, one of them was we talked, you talked about parents teaching children when they're young life skills. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I think that's really important. But what I do find is it's very difficult for some parents to do that because they don't have the life skills themselves. No one taught yes. them. So it's like a karmic thing. You know, it's like, the parent doesn't teach the child, the child doesn't teach their child, and it goes on and on generations and generations. Yeah. Yeah. And that might also have like a spiritual connection of some sort because it becomes generational. And I also, mm-hmm. what I deeply believe as well, and maybe this is the spiritual part of me, is I believe that just as we inherit DNA from our parents, you know, we inherit similarities in behavior or the way we look, you know, we look similar or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think we do inherit DNA from our parents mm-hmm. and we inherit, you know, like similarities more. in um, a lot more than that. So I'm beginning to think that we also probably, I mean, this might be on another level of thinking, inherit, you know, their psychological behaviors or tendencies or mm-hmm. maybe slight memories or, you know, because sometimes I find myself doing things and I think, oh, that was, that's really similar, you know? Right. And it's a question I sometimes have for myself. And I think a lot of people ignore it. But I came to the conclusion that if we, you know, inherit a lot of things like DNA from our parents, we must inherit some of their thoughts or past traumas or actions. For sure. I'm fascinated by the idea that, you know, you're in an environment you know, an emotional environment as a kid and you're picking up messages and the parent that's creating those messages is projecting a lot of their own inner experience onto that experience. One way or the other, it's coming out, you know, it's like, where do you break the cycle? Is it, you know, is it with the parent? Is it with the kid? But there's no doubt. And there's also compassion also, you know, I think as we start to work on ourselves, I think it's this key of like reparenting self and taking over where I can allow the parent to just, I can release them of that role. But um, it has to start somewhere. Um, like I'm a big fan of uh, the book, The Conscious Parent. You know, this idea that I've got to get in touch with my own stuff. Otherwise, I'm going to bring that into, into, into the parent-child relationship. You know, and the children that are born to me are perfectly triggering me and putting me in touch with stuff. But yeah, that cycle can be broken at any point. But there's no doubt, you know, that there's like mother to daughter, mother to daughter all the way down. But the idea that really wows me is, and you think about it, because I started doing a lot of work with trauma, but complex trauma, small T trauma, you know, where you're repeatedly exposed to really intense emotions. I'm like, well, that's so many kids. And if a person practices 10,000 hours and they become, you know, a world-class, you know, violinist, well, 
how many hours is a person in a home practicing certain responses or mm -hmm. receiving neglect of something emotionally or non-validation or never good enough and then mm -hmm. internally coming up with a response to that and I'm practice it's so practiced I think about that but as far as there's no doubt that we're picking up certain things what however the method is as we present you know especially as an adult to realize there's still this part of me that's stuck in a, a childhood dynamic I like what you said on that but when I think about that, what then happens when, you know, someone experiences this trauma or they've gone through this thing as a child is their view of the world is very different. So you have a really big job of breaking that down and then trying to make them see a different view of the world. And when people are doing this, it's probably easier if you're a teenager or younger than when you're doing it in your 20s, 30s, 40s. Yes and no. <laughs> okay, tell me. <laughs> well, don't you at a certain point, you're just like, you get so sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, when you, you've done the same thing, like I typically have mm -hmm. a lot of people who've married and divorced a few times, or they keep dating the same person. I'm just like, well, you're the one constant in all of it. So I hear you. You're right. On one hand, it's like, I'm so, I've been living that way for so long. But on the other hand, the person is like, hit a certain rock bottom. It's like, okay, enough. If I keep doing what I always did, I'm going to keep getting what I always got. And I'm really ready. So I hear you, but I, I think you can have both ways. But yeah, the difference so is, is that when you person. realize a person, yeah, but when you realize a person is two, it means that I've got this kid inside who's really acting out and needs my attention. But I've also been given this other adult part. This is why people struggle. They're like, why am I so inspired? But then I fail. Or, you know, sometimes I'm so confident, but then I'm not. I think people have within them the ability to to reparent themselves. And so I very find often my, the therapy work is me aligning with that part, giving them words, amplifying that voice until they can take it over on their own. And it feels right. It feels natural. It just needs to be presented. A lot of times I say things and people are like, yeah, that really clicks. And then my words become their words as they meditate on it, think about it. Yeah, that's very interesting. So another thing you talked about was um, triggering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that word triggering is very important because I feel like a lot of us don't know when we get triggered. You know, we don't even realize we're doing it. Right. And, you know, on the spiritual side of things, I feel like we keep on being presented with the same problems uh, until we overcome them. Yes. So we keep on triggering ourselves, you know what I mean? And then we finally have to, and it's painful mm -hmm. to usually, usually it's very painful to get over that bump. Yeah. And, you know, to change everything. And so how would you deal with someone going through something like that? That it's constantly doing the same thing, being triggered. I give people a lot of information. I give them a lot of knowledge. And, and you know, some people are looking to grow. They don't, they're feeling very out of control in their relationships. They feel, you know, there's a lot of reacting. You know, it's like the wife tells the husband to take out the garbage. He doesn't, and she doesn't just get upset. She blows full stack. You know, that overreaction is a sign that like I'm upset, but there's something else going on inside. I don't think people feel safe and comfortable. They don't know where that's coming from. So I think they really, they want to know what that's about. But I think it comes down to, you know, we go to school and we learn certain academic subjects, but we don't learn how to feel. We don't learn what a feeling is. You know, if you're meditating, so you're already a bit more comfortable just noticing and observing. But for the vast majority of people, it's, it's very uncomfortable. But I remind people that nobody can make you feel anything that you don't already feel. Mm. And so a lot of people are like, he makes me so angry. You know, she gets me so upset. I'm like, well, wait a second. You know, is, how, is that true? 
And so we talk about it, but nobody, you know, now it's like, oh, interesting. And I think people want to feel empowered. I think people want to feel tools. They want to know what to do. And, and they, I think people want, it's like the final frontiers to go inside. And I think people want to go there. I think it's like a collective conscious of, of people really want to explore that, that domain and feel happier and more content and uh, be able to validate themselves. So I think there's a natural motivation for it and people just need the tools for it. But I really tell people like, yeah, bring it on. You know, Don't be afraid of your triggers. Let's work together with them. Um, and I use a feelings chart so people could start to like tune into that part of them and start putting you know, words to the feelings that they're going through. People still need something to do. So what do I do when the feeling comes? And well, don't be afraid, you know, and you just give that part of you time. It's, it's hard at first. It's like abstract, you know, imagine I've got a seven-year-old kid like tagging along with me, but I think people want it. And, and once, you know, they know what to do, either I do it with them or I do a lot of messaging with people so that there can be some interaction between sessions because most of the growth I think happens between the sessions, you know, in your day to day, but the triggers are so elusive. They're so clarifying. They're so helpful, but you're very right. I mean, we, it's almost like we've, perfectly attract certain people into our life, you know, to, to help us. I would say to anybody listening, everybody who's in your life right now is for a reason. And if you can swivel and stop looking, you know, he needs to do this and she has to change. And, and for a second, what were you feeling in that argument? What came up for you when they did X? And it's like, whoa, I forgot about me in the whole picture. And there's some great growth that goes on there. I totally agree with you. And then another thing I wanted to talk about was back on triggering yeah. is that thing of, you know, today, especially with social media and everything, there's a lot of triggers out there. Mm -hmm. So someone who's not feeling good about themselves, you know, they're trying to get over it and they're doing better. And then, for example, they may go on social media and they see images that actually make them feel bad about themselves but they can't stop it because when they get to the office tomorrow, everybody's talking about that stuff too. And they feel like they're constantly not good enough, which I know personally that that's a psychological thing. It has nothing to do with what you're seeing, but how you feel about yourself. Right. <laughs> but how would you advise people? Because I feel like social media, as you know, I'm sure you've heard is you have a lot of people now that are depressed that, you know, don't feel good about themselves. They feel they're not good enough. Even though a lot of social media is manufactured, it's almost like they want to believe that that's the truth and that they're not good enough. And why are, are they not living this amazing, happy life? Yep. It's comparisons, you know, it's the seeking external validation. And there's something so fascinating to me about validation where like a person doesn't feel valid. So it's this wild addictive cycle, you know, and I, I feel the pain of people who are in it, you know, really good, sensitive souls that are having a hard time. But it's that I want to feel good about me and valid. And the reason why they don't, I'll talk about in a second, but like, I want to feel that, but all I know is to seek it externally. So I'm going to go seek it externally. And either I don't get it and that reaffirms, ah, oh, see, I'm no good. Or I do get it. And then it creates this like deep tension of, well, wait a minute, which is right. The voice inside me that says I'm no good, or now I'm getting, you know, somebody telling me that, you know, good feedback. And usually they wind up rejecting that feedback, but then you're left not feeling valid. And so you loop again. And it's being stuck in this need for external validation, which is a leftover from childhood. I think a kid comes into the world with just the child self. And I think around 12, 13 years old, that adult part starts to come in. And that's the, the teenage years and trying to find ourselves. But, you know, we're primed to absorb messages about who we are from the people around us. You know, parenting is not an easy job. 
But what happens is where that need doesn't get met, I continue to seek it externally. And I, I work with people and they'll tell me about their current relationship. And then we start putting some feelings to it. And then it's like, oh, I felt, when else have you felt that? Oh, this boyfriend, this girlfriend, that teacher, and it goes all the way back to the parents. So there's this part that's stuck in that loop of seeking externally. And social media is the same. It's like, I need a certain amount of likes, you know, in order to feel good about me. But one bad comment, you know, and the whole thing is wrecked is I've left myself very vulnerable because I'm seek I still am continuing to seek a sense of self externally. And I love helping people take that back, you know, to not compare to others, to learn how to connect to themselves and give themselves those validating, accepting emotional messages that they've always needed. They always deserved. It's not their fault they didn't get, but there's some work to do in the here and the now to connect on that so that I'm not with an up and down of, you know, it's a good day, a bad day. If I make a mistake now, I'm totally bad. If I did got it right, I'm totally good. It's so unsettling. And I think social media really feeds into that. But whereas a person can become more solid and secure and more grounded in themselves, you know, they're the one who determines their worth and value. Then you go and you consume social media and you share and, you know, it is what it is and you're not needing that comparison as much. And I think people can be healthier in their use of social media. I was thinking of a question there because on social media, apart from those that go on and they feel bad about themselves sometimes, you also have the opposite where there are people that just troll others that yeah. go and write bad stuff on other people's. And I feel like they're also going through <laughs> some yeah. sort of pain because I don't know why someone would just decide to make someone else feel bad. You can't change somebody. I've never successfully helped somebody grow that mm -hmm. they themselves didn't want to grow. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's like, it's like a bully. It keeps bullying people and some people go for it. Some people don't. The people who, you know, are self-assured enough that they don't, you know, they don't go for it. You know, you move on or the narcissist is just like constantly hunting, whether they realize it conscious or not, you know, and the troller is going to troll people and those who don't care, ignore it. And they move on because they didn't get that payoff. And that's why, you know, helping people not be so vulnerable. The person who's desperately seeking external validation is going to like slip right into that trap. You know, as for the one himself or herself who's, you know, trolling others, it's sad. I have compassion, um, but it's about each person. I think, feel, you know, I determine my worth and value, and, mm -hmm. you know, and what, what's interesting is, is especially where someone's in a relationship and keep getting triggered by their partner. What happens is as they swivel, instead of the getting triggered and getting upset at the partner, I help them look inside and tune into those feelings. What happens is, is you start to feel really valid and you start to become inoculated. That trigger stops working. And when your partner continues to do it, you no longer react and continue to enable that cycle. And you start to see it as their own issue. And so, you know, people who have been susceptible to trolls in the past, you know, then can say, oh, oh this is another one of those. Let me just move on. I'm not susceptible. I'm not in a vulnerable position. Yeah. Something I find very interesting you said is that, Thing about triggering and when you're in a relationship and you are not responding, you know, to that trigger. I mean, I personally have had experiences where, you know, I don't respond to a trigger because I've kind of realized that spiritually that sometimes you just got to ground yourself. And there are times when you don't respond, but the other person, because they're not dealing with themselves, is tries to force you to respond. You know what I mean? So sure. you're trying not to respond and they keep on pushing and pushing and pushing. And I feel like sometimes even when you go out the room or maybe you don't call back or something, they just don't let it go, you know, because they want that trigger. Yeah. How would you deal in a situation like that? 
well, if you keep going that long and they're not changing, then you know there's a serious issue. But I, I don't see that that mm -hmm. happens. I really don't. I think it's uncomfortable. I think it's challenging. I think the other person is so used to you always, re always reacting. And a lot of this is subconscious and it happens so fast. These are part of our childhood defenses that we've practiced so well and are so smooth. So we continue to do it. But a lot of people want to know, how do I change my partner? Like, well, you change them by changing yourself. They're so used to you reacting the same way that they're going to test. Like a kid, you know, you, you have a rule with a child and, you know, you know they're going to test it a couple of times. But eventually, I don't see that that continues inevitably. And if it does, there's a serious issue. Or you guide the person. I think people naturally become I'm less needy of that person's validation, let's say, and so I'm not reacting and, and I feel more empowered to really speak up you know, and talk more. And, and I help people also realize like you can be on the lookout to catch them when they're doing things right that you really like. Sometimes people so, you know, want to get it right. You know, I have a client where the husband is so afraid to lose the wife, but he actually winds up doing things that push her further away. But deeper down, there's this desire to connect. And so she's really working on as he does things, you know, like randomly buys flowers or stuff that, that solidifies the connection she really makes a big deal out of it of like this works and i feel great and it's you know you're getting your need met and so there are things that can be done but if you're changing and the person continues either there's a deep issue with the other person or or usually it's just some additional techniques need to be added which now that you've worked on yourself and you've got in touch with the triggering that's going on um you're in a better position and, and i really find this on a spiritual level i mean we just attract the perfectest of people to us to help us get in touch with ourselves. You're so right about that. And sometimes it's so hard because it's almost like they call you out whenever you're trying to hide and you just have to face it. And that's could be really difficult. Another point I want to talk about was the reparenting. You talked about reparenting. What mm -hmm. does that look like for you? And how would someone use that approach in learning to reparent themselves? Um, I tell people to fire their parents. They're fired. You know, you're an adult, fire them. But a lot of us continue to talk to ourselves as we were spoken to as kids. So that's what it means when, that a person has two parts. And the source of a person having two parts is a spiritual source, a mystical text. But I feel very confident about that. And it really takes a lot of techniques and brings them to a higher level. But to conceive of the self as two, which is, there is a part of you that's all those old childhood dynamics, but there's an adult there. You know, there's a parent that's there. And I've seen some pretty amazing things. I've seen people locked into a certain dynamic with parents where when they shift and they're like, you know what? I'm going to take over the job here. I'm going to start tuning into myself. I'm going to use triggers. And um, I literally have a feelings chart that I take, I have people and I'm just like, tune into you and where in the body are you feeling it? And walk me through this list. I don't want them using their brains because people will assess and tell you, I feel this because of this and this. No, no, no. Just where are you feeling it? Get in that moment. Be mindful. Put yourself in that scene. And the feelings are coming up. So you've got this kid part that's feeling it. And then there's the observer. There's the adult part that's noticing, tuning in. And that act there of attention and attending and accepting and whatever feeling words match. Okay, yep, I'm feeling embarrassed, shamed, impotent, what, you know you know, ineffective, whatever it is, but just that tuning in is me giving myself that validation, acceptance, love, that unconditional acceptance that I've always needed. So it's some of those emotional needs that never happened. Well, I'm going to take over. I'm going to do this myself. And conceiving of the self as two, this adult part and this child part enables people to do it. I've seen some amazing things where, where that's in essence firing my parents. I no longer treat me, the kid me, as my parents did. Um, and speaking to myself, you know, that harsh inner critic, but I, I just stop 
they, people start to change the way they interact with parents. Uh, they have much healthier boundaries. They have much lower expectations of their adult parents and relationships shift. You know, you're no longer seeing the parent as this failed parent. You've kind of released them of that role. It's a very spiritual process. But even if you don't want to get spiritual in the moment, it's like, I'm free. I'm happier. I'm the one determining my worth and my value. But I really have people just, you know, tuning in and learning to put words to their feelings. Because a lot of people, I ask them, what do you feel? And I get like angry, sad. You know, I, I don't get a lot of, you know, expression. I think we need, you know, an, an improved emotional vocabulary. But it's me tuning into me, basically, me listening to me. Okay, so I like what you talked about. You, you talked about parents a bit and about firing one's parents and about, you know, relearning. But also another thing I want to talk about, ask you about is society, because I find people who obviously have issues with parents, they are on a healing journey themselves and they try to kind of talk to their parents so that their parents realize what they've done. You know, it's almost like trying to go back so that, yeah. You know, not in a kind of negative way, but just trying to say, this is what happened. This is what you did to me. You know, I forgive you. It doesn't matter. And those parents are still, you know, adamant that, no, you know, I did the right thing. And then sometimes it's not only the parents. There's also pressure of family, society, and even the parents, you know. So what does one in such a situation do? Do they just forget about that part of their life and move on? You know, because this happens a lot. You have to, it's all about me. And, and I have a lot of people that like, I, generally speaking, when people come for support or help, they're way too far to an extreme in a particular area. And the way to work through that is, is to visit the opposite extreme for a while. So you get to know the boundaries and then you can find your way back to a balance point that works. Many people need to cut their parents off for a while and get some work done. It's really, I've got to reform a relationship with self, but this whole I need my parents to acknowledge or change something so that I could then feel something else. Is, it's codependent. It's not fair to us. It's not healthy. Needing somebody to do something so I could then feel something is not fair to you. It's not going to lead to where you want. Whereas separating and distancing and reconnecting with self and then reengaging is effective and it's healthy. And it looks like different ways. I mean, there's some people who have been outright abused and it's really not healthy to be with the parents or around the parents. Other people need to really reduce and lower their contact time with parents or engage with them with way lowered expectations and a much clearer, more assertive voice of what's okay, what's not okay. But to, to re-engage in what I like to call pre-approved, like pre-approved for a loan. When I use my triggers, help me get mm. in touch with this part of myself, I start to really validate self such that I enter into conversations and the deepest is parents because like this joke says that our parents push our buttons so much because they're the ones who created our buttons. So I like that mm -hmm. one, but they have deep access to it. The interesting thing, though, is an intimate partner also has that kind of deep access and can really help us heal. But um, if each person looks different, mystically, spiritually speaking, is, is that the, the family, you leave a family unit and you're with a partner, and that family unit has to become the primary unit. I've seen a lot of issues with in-laws, where those kind of boundaries are, are blurred, but it's got to be me and my, my family unit first mm -hmm. and foremost. And, and it could look like different things. I don't often see that something is forever or distancing or a cutting off. I don't like to use the word cut off so much, but like a backing off. It's rarely is it forever, but sometimes you have to reestablish kind of a new baseline. Or uh, you need some time, you know, some disconnected time to just be with yourself and get to know yourself for the first time and then to be able to re-engage, which could be interesting. People then go back into that environment and they see ways, number one, in which they've grown, number two, ways in which they need to continue to work. So it becomes these constant like 
experiment, then more training and growth, and then you go back into it. Yeah. So in regards to the parenting thing, I've met people who have had issues with their parents, but their siblings haven't had the same issues, you see? And it's almost like the whole family's in denial, you know? And they're having a difficult time processing it because, you know, the siblings are like, yeah, but they weren't so bad. But that, you know, because I've had a friend with this happen to, and it was so hard for her because she was traumatized and abused by the father. Right. And yet her siblings are like, oh, he wasn't so bad, you know, because he was obviously bipolar. (laughs) And I think even though she has a good relationship with her siblings, it's hard for her to come to terms with the fact that, you know, not only them, but the family just never kind of admit it. Right. Sometimes in those scenarios, you you have to go solo. You know, you have to have good friends around Mm -hmm. you and a partner and you've got to do your healing and and really learn to trust your own voice. And so it's not, I can feel clear, you know, that I know what happened is if you agree with me that it happened, it's more of that. I need you to be on board so I can then feel what I feel. And sometimes Mm -hmm. there's that one courageous person in the family. that's like, listen, this wasn't okay. You know, and and they, they choose to engage, let's say with their siblings, not entering family functions, you know, separately mm-hmm. or sometimes there's one that you connect to and so you enjoy that not like oh but we're not all connected so i can't enjoy it it's you know you it's each situation different but it's always the same it's i need we need to learn to be good with ourselves, to be okay with ourselves. and mm-hmm. uh, again if i'm in a situation where i need someone to do something so that i can then feel something i need to feel it's codependent unhealthy and it's not fair exactly. to us i like what you said there if you're in a situation where you need someone to do something so I can feel the way I want to feel, that's a really, mm-hmm. really important thing you've said, because I feel like half of the time we all do this, be it at work, <laughs> in relationships, in life, yeah. trying it's to do external validation. Yeah, exactly. And it's so important when you can just be your true, authentic self and which is hard because everyone has an idea of what your true, authentic self should be. Right. But this again, people, we were never taught how to be ourselves. I really have so and, much compassion. You know, people want uh-huh. to be healthy and happy and successful, loving and giving. We just, there's some real important basics we never learned. But on the flip side, when people do learn some of those basics, like your two and how to feel and how to deal with a trigger and, and how to use that, when we learn that with a little bit of support, people really grow and they feel good about themselves. I see people able to really talk themselves through situations, kind of coaching themselves. Mm-hmm. It's a skill that can mm-hmm. be learned. Yeah. So another thing I want to touch on is feelings because feelings play a big part in this because, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's the feeling that triggers the, I guess, emotion and then triggers the action and then it goes on and on. So um, how does one really work with their feelings to stop? I don't, I don't want to say to stop feeling a certain way because I don't think we can ever stop feeling a certain way, but how to address it differently. I tell people you're allowed to feel like bring it on, you know, so much. There's a lot of like physical ailments that are, you know, me suppressing emotions and feelings. There's some kids who grew up in a home and sometimes the home isn't stable for any one of a number of reasons. It could be an alcoholic parent or it could be just, you know, violent emotions, any one of a number of reasons. You know, we don't feel safe and secure. And some kids can't pick up a message of, you know, I better not feel 
Because if I do I, and I rock the boats, so maybe the whole house will come down. That kind of we we there's something we learn to tell ourselves that helps us process what we're going through as kids, and we take that message with us, and and then we're not feeling or ignoring feelings, you know, as as we get older as adults. But it's really all about it's okay to feel. That's what I like about using a feeling chart. I've got people that got on their phone a JPEG on the phone, so people think they're texting and they're really just hanging out with their inner kid, you know, because we don't know the words. I think it's as simple as I'm allowed to feel okay, and let me tune into it, and no one else has to know, but what am I feeling? A lot of times I think it's a question of vocabulary, what different feelings are, and, and knowing that it's, it's okay to face a feeling and sit with a feeling. I don't have to be afraid of it. And when people have those tools, um, it's something very freeing. I don't have to suppress or hold this down. It's okay to feel. I'm allowed to feel. And it's me. It's me getting to know me and that it's normal to normalize it and to feel that sense of acceptance and, and that it's really okay. It's a, you know, a basic skill, but uh, a big part I find is this, is the vocabulary, the emotional vocabulary. You know, what, what is it? What are, what are you feeling? And so when I'm with myself and I'm, I'm tuning into the feelings and I'm starting to go through a list of words and I'm putting those words to the feelings, I'm starting really to get to know it. And I realize other times I felt those feelings. At the same time, something that's coming up is that I now have more vocabulary to describe what I feel. So when someone says, how are you feeling? I, I actually have words to describe it. You know, and I see that it's okay and people hear me and they understand what I'm saying better. So I think the general message is that it's, it's totally okay to feel. And I think people need some handholding and some guidance into how to allow that to be. That's a big key because that kid part, that child part speaks feelings. You know, I've had people do this. They like, they have a trigger in the moment. I'm like, okay, forget whatever he did to you. Let, where were you feeling it? We tune into it. And then all of a sudden, boom, it's like, oh. You know, as a few words stick out and they go, oh, there's that time I was nine and such and such because the feelings are the same. And so it's this, you know, that, that part of us speaks the language of emotion and feeling. And, you know, the thing about feelings is it becomes a pattern. Usually once you get the trigger, then you feel a certain way and then you behave and it's the same thing over right. and over again. Right. And a lot of people will say things like, oh, it's always them. It's those people yeah. that are behaving <clears throat> like that. It's and on the spiritual level, we then end up attracting the same situations again. Exactly. Over and over. That's why I say to people, and that's why I started working on relationships, because I find it's, there's something difficult about therapy. It's two things people generally don't like, you know, going into themselves, which is uncomfortable, and spending money. And you put the two together, and it could be you know, challenging. But we need to do that work. We need to look at ourselves. But I find people are more willing, you know, there's something with my relationships. And most people, I think, come to therapy or, or personal growth because they want help with their relationships. But it's really in those relationships, we definitely attract that same kind of a thing. And, and that's why I said before, when you're older, you're right, you're more set in your ways. But on the same hand, the person says, you know, I really can see how I keep attracting the same person. And I'm the one constant in all of the relationships. Okay, I think I'm ready to take a look inside. I mean, my personal belief is you have to be kind, kind to yourself and kind to others, you know, and you have to try not to be too hard on yourself. You know, you're never a failure. You're always a work in progress. That's mm -hmm. my philosophy to myself, because I feel sometimes societal pressure just makes people feel so bad about themselves. You, you know, you have these really successful business people that go commit suicide because they lost right. their money. And I'm like here thinking, well, you know, it's not that bad. I mean, I know you're bankrupt, but you've got, you had a great career. You can get another job and right. start again. But to them at that point, they will jump off a building and, yeah. you know, they leave their family and everyone to suffer. 
But I feel that's even spiritual work is so important in this process, you know, like, or because I feel like without spirituality, even for myself, I wouldn't be where I am today. It's made me question a lot of things about my life. And it's also given me light bulb moments. Yeah. You know, where yeah. I've just been like, huh, you know? Yeah. And now when I see situations that repeat themselves in my life over and over again, I actually try to break them down by thinking, what am I doing? Yeah. There's a message that keeps here. On attracting. Yeah. Because otherwise I just, you know, most people blame everybody else. And I find it very hard, especially when I have friends that, you know, they've had traumas in their life. They acknowledge it. They think they're dealing with it, but now they have children and then either they're overprotective of the same thing happening to them and the same thing starts happening to their children because they're overprotective. So I'm like, you know, and I can see it because I'm coming from a spiritual point of view and I can see the karmic thing going on, the karmic bond, everything. Yeah. And I don't know how to explain it to them. <laughs> well, this is why I like, you know, I could be triggered by my kid. You know, it could be my partner, you know, it could be my business partner. You know, I see a lot of this. The workplace has this. People bring their their baggage and stuff with them into the, the workplace. But, you know, spiritually speaking, you know, why is this child of all the potential souls in the universe that could have been my child or my first child or my second child, my third, whatever it is, you know, wow, they hit this button. That one triggers that thing. There's a, definitely a message that's there. But it could be scary, you know, to take a look at it. But it's but that that's an interesting place to again, most of the times the kid is doing something, the parents having a reaction, and then the question, all the parenting books are how do you control that particular behavior? And what's the one thing that's left out completely? Hey parent, what's going on for you? And what are you feeling in those moments? Mm-hmm. And it, it's always a trigger. It's a familiar trigger. They're probably feeling some similar things with the partner, and they can tell you times as a kid they felt similar. So it's that same part of me. And you're right. It's just a question. We're going to keep getting these messengers, people putting us in touch with a part of ourselves until we say, okay, I got it. I'm going, to, I'm going to look inside. That swivel is what that moment's all about. And I think more people would do it if they had some guidance and some help in how to do it. I think people get really frustrated and I think you know, they realize, okay, what I'm doing is just not working. And they get really, really drained, really burnt. And then they're really like, okay, I, I, I need, there's an opening that's there. Um, and for everyone, it's different, you know, where that, that time comes, but it's that I'm no longer willing to do what I've been doing until now. I, think I, need, I need something different. But that's a really powerful moment. Some call it a rock bottom moment, but it's a powerful moment where someone's really open to really exploring themselves. Responsibility, ownership, looking at themselves and their own feelings, their own role in things. Yeah, because I feel like feelings play such a huge part in all of this and mm-hmm. us learning how to change. I don't necessarily think it's change the feeling, but change our approach to the feeling. And how we address these things. And I'm not They shift over time. They do shift over time. Like that part of me that's feeling unstable, insecure, not safe. As I tune into that more and more, those feelings will lessen. And people can see the shift in the type of words that they are choosing in the relationship to certain situations. It's, you know, I need to feel valid. Well, as I'm validating you, it's less of that need to feel valid. So there is a shift. It does change. And then we can get to more subtle levels of feelings. But um, there is hope. Every, you know, people really can grow and do grow. Yeah. I mean, there is hope. And then another thing I wanted to talk about was, because um, I feel like one thing that really affects people is when they've been through a traumatic childhood, especially child abuse of some sort, physical, sexual, whatever it is, it's a big, huge trigger. Yeah. 
you know, it's a massive trigger, you know, mm-hmm. and it is something that people carry for a long time. And unfortunately we have cultures where people, it's not fine to address it. There's a lot of cultures like that where it's, you don't address it. You know, everybody pretends like it didn't happen and they suffer themselves and it's going on generation to generation and people even get into relationships. They never tell their partners about all this, you know, which is fine if they can deal with it, but you know, it affects how they, they are. And I wanted to segue this into spirituality because I believe my personal belief is our emotions and our traumas stay somewhere in our body somewhere. Oh, I sure. feel because I've I've worked with all sorts of modalities where they use either some tapping, massaging, or whatever to kind of get these past memories. Because you know they you know there's this thing called muscle memory where your muscle you actually remember it physically. Yeah. yeah. And they try to use these modalities to try to get this out of your system, not out, but to ease it. And you know, and well, the trauma and, experience has to end. You know, the body is still reacting, trying to protect yourself, but. What's interesting is that Kabbalistically speaking, when we talk about these two parts, sometimes they're referred to as two souls. I call it the adult self and the child self. But that child part is embedded in the body. It's very physical and bodily oriented. And it's the one that's holding on to those traumas. It's the body is still reacting, trying to protect us. And it's why so many of these body work type approaches, you know, the yoga, stretching, body psychology, these things that are bodily oriented are so effective because it targets that you know, use the body to, first of all, to stop the triggering and to stop the, you know, the, the trauma response, but also to gain access to that kid part. It's very bodily oriented. It's amazing because most people wouldn't think that, that you, you actually remember your thoughts and memories. They stay in your body. We just think it's in our mind, (laughs) in our brain somewhere, but it's like a thing where your whole body reacts, right? Everything is, listen, if I have a memory, okay, of being mistreated and I'm still, that memory I haven't processed or worked through. So I still, it's me being neglected and I've not stood up for myself. So it still sits in my neurons firing as this reminder that I don't count. I don't matter until I, I get in touch with that. And I go back and I'm like, that was wrong. You know, and I play director, you know, as one exercise of, you know, what should have been said, or my adult self maybe comes into that picture and screams or protects me or something. And I've reclaimed that memory. And now as it sits in the neurons firing, it's, it's a different experience. You know, it was, it was a, they're wrong, but not that it's, you know, an inherent truth about who I am. So yeah, yeah, you have it on the brain level, you have it on, on the body level. It's fascinating. I've had people that I'm like, listen, we're going to stop our work now because you really don't have access to thoughts and feelings because you've been through trauma. Usually it's that complex trauma, something deeply emotionally disturbing and beyond their control. But the body continues to react and they really don't have access. And so the, I encourage people to spend some time really in body-oriented somatic experiencing work, yoga work, what, you know, whatever works for them. But like, you need to reform a relationship with self with the body you need to turn off that that trauma response and, and reclaim access to self and, and then they can continue on at some of the this kind of more thought feeling based type work if someone was going through this could you give me a step-by-step approach of how they would deal with overcoming this like just someone going through a trauma not feeling good about themselves how will they deal with overcoming it you know like they could come to you but if yeah. they just, if you know, just practical steps that anyone can use. Um, if I, you know, just like a roadmap. I have my like emergency first aid, you know, approach, which is, uh, I, you know, anybody reaches out to me and I talk to them and do a consultation. I'm just like, take these three steps 
It's going to take 10 minutes for your day, but run with it and go with it. And that I give to everybody is like a, a first aid kind of thing. And, you know, and it's this, um, I, get, I give them this feelings chart with a description of how to do it and to tell them to take a minute a day as you're triggered, use that to like, don't be afraid of your feelings anymore, tune in. So it's about a minute a day, you know, to go through the list that I have and where in the body am I feeling it, which words, you know, match it and just, ah, okay. You know, get it, not that kind of knee jerk, you know, reflex of run from emotion, but learn to just kind of face it and sit with feelings. So that's about a minute. There's another exercise that I'm just in love with where you, you put your hand on your chest over here and you say, you know, I love myself. I love my name. You know, I tell me my name. A lot of people can't do it. But mm-hmm. just once a day, I'm like, I love you, Zalman. Like, I could not do it at first. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you can't, you can say good morning, Zalman, or, you know, whatever it is. But it's just the, the touch here, the hormones that are released. The chem- I don't remember which one it is, but that's also, you know, first thing in the morning. And then the third part is something body-oriented like yoga. So you're talking you know, max 10 minutes a day or something, but just it's easy and it's doable. And it's a tool that people could use, especially the feelings chart they can use anytime they want or that, you know, I love myself. I can do that anytime I want. And, you know, you hop on YouTube and find someone you connect with, be it stretching, be it yoga, but it's just like quick, doable, easy, free, start right away, you know, start feeling good about you. I I think people, the opposite, trauma is feeling, you know, disempowered, overwhelmed, disempowered. And so I, to help somebody start to feel more empowered as soon as possible, I think is really important. So I'll give people those three tips. I'll send them some links quickly and try this, be in touch. Let me know how it goes. And just and it, it helps people start moving in a good direction. So you call this the feeling chart? Yeah, I have a feelings chart. Okay. So it's just, then it's one of the processes you use. Uh, it's a chart I use. It's got, it goes from uh, mild, uh, medium, strong, and intense, just increasing levels of intensity. And they're just words. They're feeling words. I want a person to, just to tune in. And like we we're talking about the body, almost always, sometimes at first people are not aware of it. I ask them like, oh, you had that argument yesterday. Okay. You were, you know, how were you feeling? They were like, well, I was feeling bothered. That's about all I could get. That was, you know, someone I spoke to recently, but I was like, okay, where were you feeling it? A lot of times people are not aware. But after, once I've asked a person that, the next time it happens, they tune in more. But you're focusing on a body part as an anchor. And then just you're allowing your mind to go through a list where you don't have to engage the brain. You're just using it to read the words, but staying really tuned into those feelings and begin to put words to what those feelings are. Just that process, I find, is just so powerful. Having the words to describe mm-hmm. what you feel, that self-acceptance and validation that I'm tuning in and paying attention to that kid inside me. So it's a chart. I mean, there's plenty of charts. You can go Google Images, Feelings Chart. You know, you'll get a whole bunch. It's less important the exact chart, and the more that I'm, you know, I'm. The chart is doing the remembering of all the vocabulary words. I don't want to memorize vocabulary. I just want to tune into what I'm feeling. That experience of stop focusing on others, tune into you. A part of you is trying. A trigger is a part of you is trying to talk to you. How do I listen? Well, let let me tune in and start putting some words to those feelings. So you really could use anything, Mm -hmm. or or I have on my website. Uh, what I call triggered in quarantine, which describes this process of being two parts. And it has what I call the trigger method, which is described of tuning mm-hmm. into a part of a, where do I feel it? And what am I feeling? And, and processing it. And there's uh, just a basic tool of what do I do when I'm feeling particularly intense feelings. And so that's available mm-hmm. free on my site, but you could Google anything. Like I just want to help people. Honestly, if they want more support, they can find me, but just go to Google, you know, look, search feelings chart, go to Google images and, and start playing around with the chart. It's less important how perfect the chart is and more that you're being helped to discover the words that really resonate with the feelings that are coming. Mm-hmm. And the good thing about therapy these days is, um, you know, they don't actually have to come to your office. You can do it online. You can do it through Zoom, FaceTime, 
all these or, different things. Or messaging. I've been really into messaging therapy. I, walk, I worked for Talkspace for about a year and a half, and then I continued to do mm -hmm. it. I'm just a huge fan. It's people who wouldn't go to therapy otherwise, or people who have fears or discomforts, or, or they can't afford it. And, and, and um, I'll do messaging with them. I use Telegram Messenger, and I have just a messenger mm -hmm. just for that. And people write when they want, as much as they want, whenever they want, in the moment they feel it, and once a day. Five days a week, I sign in for about you know ten minutes. I'm reading, responding, reading, responding. But people heal so much. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's great. That's it's amazing. Great. I really like that idea because you it. can get therapy in the moment. You know, you just know that there's someone there for yeah. you. There's someone holding your hand through this yeah. at that moment. Well, that's also, amazing. But you've also written. You've processed it. You've put it into words. Mm -hmm. You're already feeling better because it's not inside anymore. It's out in front of me. Mm -hmm. I have a written record, you know, and people can look back at how they were feeling a month ago and see the growth and progress. And then on top that of it, it's really, really responding. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So it. that said, if someone was looking for you to find you, um, where can they find you? Uh, you can find the website, zalmanelson.com, Z-A-L-M-A-N-N-E-L-S-O-N. And, uh, or I'm all over social media, Therapy with Zalman. I'm on all the, the social media platforms. And uh, just connecting, talking to people. My favorite are comments. I like to engage with people, to mm -hmm. talk and to share and really communicate and mm -hmm. connect. And uh, I just yeah, enjoy. I mean, I really like what you do, like on Instagram, all your daily quotes and everything. Even I read them. They're very inspiring. A lot inspiring. of those are anonymously taken from uh, messaging therapy sessions. Oh, really? Yeah, there's yeah, the ideas they're that very, came very up. Inspiring. Oh, thanks. I'm glad you liked it. People are connected, yeah. but they're real. They're not like. I sat and conceived of it as like something that it's wording that came to me as I'm trying to connect to someone and help them. Mm -hmm. And and so I, I can, I'll share it anonymously, but um, that's where a lot of that inspiration comes. Yeah. Cause I really like your messaging therapy session because I think it's something that is af affordable to most, you know, and people can, you know, they get the support they need. Yes. And whenever they need it, it's really interesting. So guys, you should check that out. You know, that's, I mean, maybe I'll be <laughs> signing up for that myself because <laughs> I feel like we all need. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's been really great talking with you today. I mean, the you insights too. have been amazing. The insights have been amazing. And what I try to do here is to just, you know, we're trying to make the world a better place. And first of all, we have to heal ourselves and be able to think better and think clearer and find our true authentic selves and our true, you know, and live a fulfilled life. And in order to do that, we have to heal our wounds, be they be them in the past or in the present. So it was a really, really pleasant conversation. And thank you for taking time to talk to me. For sure, for sure. Let's talk more soon. Yeah, definitely.